If uh, you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 2, 23, and then over to chapter 3, verse 6, and Afi is going to read that scripture. Would you, would you join me, if you're able, to stand in uh, honor of God's word? Praise God. So, um, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abatia the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shivered hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shivered hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at the stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hands were completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Thank you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may, may have a seat. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, uh, my best friend was Doug, Doug Gordon. And Doug, unlike me at the time, I'm more of one now, but he was a crazy outdoor enthusiast. This guy dreamed, thought, uh, all he could, all he could uh, think about was getting outside, hunting, fishing, uh, hiking, canoeing. He'd go on big treks all over the world. Before the West Coast Trail was ever popular, he came out to the West Coast from Ontario, did the West Coast Trail, all kinds of trails all over the world. And uh, in a day when, you know, the film Top Gun was topping the charts, my friend Doug loved this National Film Board of Canada film called Water Walker. And he forced me to watch it many times. Now, uh, Water Walker, if it does, actually you can watch the entire film on YouTube. And uh, it's not, I would say, kept well. It's not aged well in the day of HD. It's not HD. And it has this cheesy Canadian uh, jazzy kind of background. It's, it's, it's kind of fun, but it features Bill Mason, who uh, was a well-known Canadian artist and painter, and uh, a, a fellow who was particularly known for his canoeing of the Great Lakes. Bill Mason loved canoeing. In uh, his words, he says, the canoe is the most beautiful and functional craft ever created. Here I thought it was the Toyota Corolla. 
Mason would go on to these long solo canoe trips into the wilderness, probably Algonquin Park or somewhere, for weeks on end. And in the film, he says the one thing he misses when he's out there all by himself on his own is he misses his friends who all seem to prefer to kayak. He calls them rapid runners. Uh, to quote him, he says, the problem with them is there's, there's just no slowing them down. They only want to get to the next rapids. And you know, folks, I, I think that's kind of indicative of our day. I, I would say that describes our day well. Most of us, I would say, are rapid runners. We're, we're being busy. We're living hurried. It's just kind of how we do life today. Uh, we might think that a, a life that's full on and, and nonstop would be more fulfilling, uh, more complete, but the irony is there's often a, a greater sense of dissatisfaction and, and emptiness that, that comes with that kind of rushed existence. Uh, Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, an excellent book on Sabbath, he said, hurry is killing us. Hurry kills the heart and it starves the soul. And so I'd suggest this morning again that we do well to heed the words of, of one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, when he says, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. What we've been talking about is adopting the kind of spiritual practices of Jesus that slow us down, that actually access us to, uh, help us access uh, his life, his power, his, his love, matching our pace to him, uh, literally taking up his yoke so that, because he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He invites us into that. And so we've been talking about these kind of spiritual disciplines or practices of Jesus. Uh, we've, we talked about silence and solitude, following Jesus into the quiet place, you know, to be alone with ourselves and with God. Uh, we looked at fasting and its power in, in starving our bodies, in, in feeding our souls, and, and bringing about this, this freedom in our lives. And, and this morning we're going to look at this practice of Sabbath keeping. And I guess the good news I want to reflect on this morning is just how passionate and how serious God is about replenishing our bodies and souls. It's literally built in the very fabric of how we're to do our, our week by practicing a Sabbath day. Uh, the Sabbath was the Jewish day of rest. Uh, Jews take this day very seriously. It's from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. They call it Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. And it's a day where you're to do no work. Historically, uh, this weekly habit has often been called the Lord's Day and predominantly observed on Sundays. But this principle of resting one day in seven is not just a nice suggestion from God. This is actually a command. We read about it in the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. And it says this in Exodus 20. We'll read part of it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So I want you to notice again that this is not a suggestion, but that God commands that you have a rhythm in your life, a rhythm that in involves work and rest. Uh, it's kind of funny if you think about it that God has to command us to rest, right? It's like as John Mark Comer says, it's like commanding ice cream or live music or days at the beach. <laughs> but folks, there's something apparently in, in the human condition that causes us to want to hurry our way through life, that, that somehow we want to be Lord of our time and, and try to live or fight against the limits that we have. Comer says this, he says, due to our immaturity, dysfunction, and addiction, God has to command his people to do something deeply life-giving, rest. And here's the thing, when we violate this command, are we sinning against God? Actually, not really. We're sinning against ourselves because the Sabbath was made as a gift for us. Uh, we see this uh, kind of explained by Jesus in our text this morning. Uh, we read in Mark 2, 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And it's, as he and his disciples walked along, his disciples began to pick heads of grain. Can you imagine? They're walking along this farmer's field and they're I think that the, the Pharisees should got upset, get upset about them stealing, but they were actually, you know, snacking on this farmer's grain as they were walking along. And, and actually, there's a biblical practice called gleaning. I guess you could call this gleaning. They were probably poor. So they're nibbling on these grains as they're walking along. And uh, the, the Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples breaking this Sabbath rule, and, and they get upset about it, right? The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And here's Jesus once again getting in, in kind of trouble with the Pharisees. Pharisees were religious rulers in that day, and they followed Sabbath religiously. They practiced it. They, they took the command of Sabbath so seriously that they developed a, a long list of rules of what you could or couldn't do on a Sabbath day. And so when they see, you know, Jesus' disciples breaking this rule, they get really upset. And so Jesus responds to them by saying this, quite a profound line. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Which means the Sabbath was not made for God. It was made for you. It was, it was made for, for people, for, for humanity. It, it's clear that the Pharisees were missing the plot line of what was intended for the Sabbath, this life-giving rest and, and they turned it into kind of a religious duty or observance. Now, the next uh, story in, in Mark chapter 3, I love this story. Jesus chooses to heal a man with a withered hand, and he does it on a Sabbath day in a synagogue service. And Jesus says to this man, if you can imagine, he's got this horribly dis disfigured and withered hand. Maybe he can't even stretch out his fingers. It, it, it's, it's probably maybe live with this arthritic condition probably for years, maybe decades. And Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And we're told this man who could not stretch out his hand, he reached for Jesus and began to stretch, and his hand was made whole. Can you imagine the, the beauty of that moment? It says, stretch out your hand. We're told he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. It's, it's one of my favorite moments in the New Testament. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but 
in all of the Gospels, the Sabbath was the only day that Jesus went looking to heal people. Uh, he, he healed people actually on other days in response to human need, in response to direct requests, but, but Sabbath was the only day that he actually took the initiative. And, and what, was, what Jesus was showing us is that the kind of stuff that God is up to on, in Sabbath. He's all about healing and, and restoring and, and renewing and making things new. He, he's, he's making us lie down in green pastures, restoring our souls. Sabbath is, along with all, all that is, it's a day of healing. That's been my experience. I don't know what uh, your weeks are like with your work and all that goes on in your life, but there are weeks when I hit my Sabbath, which my Sabbath, because I'm, I'm working right now, actually. This is my work day. So my Sabbath day is, is Thursday evening, Thursday dinner time to Friday dinner time. That's when I choose to practice Sabbath. And, and sometimes, you know, just the way my week has gone, by the time I hit Thursday evening, sometimes I am just utterly worn out and exhausted. I am so very tired, and I'm so glad to hit the pillow that night, and I sleep in the next morning. Uh, some weeks, again, some weeks I'm just tired. Other weeks, I just feel beat up. You know, I hit my Sabbath day, and I feel like, man, every problem that could happen happened this last week, right? You, you have weeks like that? Anyone? I know it. <laughs> You just hit challenge after challenge after challenge, or, or somebody says the wrong thing, or you offend somebody, or you just, whatever it might be, and I hit my Sabbath day, and I feel just beat up emotionally. But then amazingly, what, what happens, and it happens Sabbath after Sabbath, somewhere along my practice of my Sabbath day, I feel my dry and weary, and sometimes even feels dead soul coming back to life. I feel like this resurrection work, this healing work begins to happen on my Sabbath days. It's so good. And I believe there's a soul recovery, folks. I think there's a healing that will only happen in our lives when we keep Sabbath. Notice in the story how the Pharisees respond. They see a healing. Do they throw a party? Do they get excited? Actually, no, they don't throw a party. They begin plotting to kill Jesus. This is just showing how much they missed the storyline of what God was up to on the Sabbath, right? This is how far off they are. They lost the heart behind the Sabbath. And, and some of you maybe grew up in Christian traditions where they had a lot of rules around Sabbath, and, and maybe you, you kind of almost lost what it was all about even in, in that experience. But let me say this. I don't think today many of us can relate to the Pharisees in this because we live in what John Mark Comer calls the exact opposite cultural moment of, of the Pharisees. Our, our problem is not legalism around the Sabbath. Our problem is liberalism. It's not that we have all these rules and regulations. It's that we have none. It's, it's anybody's game. It's a free-for-all. And, and so in our brokenness, we can make the same mistake of the Pharisees we can miss the heart behind the practice. We can forget what the Sabbath is all about. So it's, it's important that we remember the reasons for the Sabbath. We're, we're going to look at this. Four reasons for the Sabbath that, that will help us keep the heart of the Sabbath as we seek to practice it. We get those four meanings from the, the Hebrew word Shabbat. 
Sabbath. Uh, the, the four meanings are this, stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Stopping. This is the, the most literal translation of the word Sabbath, to stop, to stop working for a day. As uh, it says in the commandment, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now this can be a huge challenge for some of you. Some of you love to work. You love your job. It, it's a calling. It's not just a nine to five kind of thing. And so stopping can be really difficult. It can be difficult for some of you because you just seem to never get your work done. There's always more. There's work, work in your life, in, in your job, your paid work, but there's also your unpaid work, your chores and the, the demands of your home and all those kind of things, kids, whatever it might be. For some of us, the feeling is the work is just never done. And we've got this idea that the more work we do, it equals more output. Folks, research does not back that up. I've said this before, but study after study after study shows there's zero correlation between productivity and hurry. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours a week, your, your production, your, your output plummets. You want to know what the ideal number is? 50. Somebody shouted out four as the ideal work week. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Living in the lower mainland. That's a good hourly wage, probably. 50, which when you think about what a typical day, including your life chores and, and whatever it might be, that's 50 hours. That's six days a week. Six days to do all that you need to do. Funny, one study showed no difference in productivity between workers who, who logged 50, 70 hours and who logged 55. They got no more done. It's an illusion to think that we can squeeze more production out of ourselves. And we also need to think about, as I already kind of mentioned, how Sabbath is not the same as a, a day off where you rest from your your unpaid work, but you do other work. You do your chores and your errands and those kind of things. It's Sabbath is stopping from all our work. Sabbath also means stopping our thinking about work. That, that may be a more challenging than anything. Fascinating study suggests that thinking about work releases the same chemicals that induce stress in our bodies as working does. Isn't that something? So if, so if you're having your Sabbath day, but you're thinking about your job, or you're thinking about what's unfinished, or you're maybe dwelling on some relational conflict at the office or wherever it might be, you might as well be sitting at your desk because it has the exact same effect on your mind and on your body. And so to stop, it's going to mean cultivating this sort of mental discipline to leave your work at work, to actually to, to set aside, maybe, maybe journaling and writing down the things that, in your work life that are, that are um, causing you to worry and, and, and writing those things down and, and, and choosing to set them aside. Uh, but, but it's this discipline to, to not even think about your work. To help me with this, Sabbath has been a day where I needed, I, I've needed to get radical, and it's called putting this aside. <laughs> I need to set aside my smartphone. On, on my Sabbath day, all it takes is one phone call or a text or a message to pull me right back into my workaday world. That's all it takes. One, one email that I read. And, and, and so it's been really hard for me to do this. 
One, I feel kind of necessary. At least some of you tell me that. What will you do without the pastor to call when you're in crisis? And then I think, well, what did we do before we had phones? What did we do before we had this all-on access all the time, 24-7? What did we do? If you want to get a hold of me on my Sabbath day, I'll tell you how you got to do it now. You got to somehow get through to my wife, and she's not answering my phone either, or come and knock on my door, and I might not answer it. We don't know. You might not be able to get a hold of me on, on Friday, so just, just be aware of that. But the other thing is, as my wife observed, uh, she's good at pointing these things out. Um, I'm pretty tethered to this thing. And, and there may be those of you who, who don't have this kind of relationship with your phone, but I think uh, it's become such a useful de- device to me that I carry, with it, I carry it with me everywhere I go. I read my scripture on it, I, I do my banking on it, uh, I do my emails on it, and so I have it with me all the time, and it feels like it's got me sometimes under its control. Like, who's the master here, it or me? Um, and so what I'm finding as, as I'm actually going through this discipline of setting my phone aside for 24 hours from dinner time Friday, Thursday to dinner time Friday, I'm finding not only do I find freedom that day and not thinking about work, I'm finding the other six days that that I'm I'm feeling the release and freedom of not having it control my life. It's not the Lord of my life the rest of the week. And so as I cultivate this practice of digital detox on my Sabbath day, it's actually helping me in in many other ways. By the way, I should just report that um, a couple weeks ago I promised to go out and get an old school alarm clock. And uh, I did that. I've got a, now I've got this massive, like, giant print alarm clock. I didn't know it was going to be this big when I ordered it on Amazon, but it's like that letter, you know, numbers this size. So if I glance that way in the middle of the night, I know what time it is now. And uh, it's got the old school, you know, as opposed to the gentle water sound that I have on my phone, you know, it's, it's, it's been quite dramatic. But um, best practice is that we don't carry these into our bedrooms at night. That actually, you leave them out in the hall, you, you plug them in somewhere and forget about them. That's, that's best practice in terms of cultivating emotional and mental health. And so I wanna encourage you maybe to consider going to old school with your alarm clock, dudes. It'd be so good. We're gonna talk more about this next week, but Sabbath is also a day where we stop or set aside our wanting. For many of us, this might mean that we don't shop on our Sabbath day. You see, there's this thing that's happened with shopping. You can shop 24-7 from wherever you are, from whatever device you happen to have on you. And so a lot of us consume more than we need to. And so it's so good for us to take one day of fasting from actually consuming, from actually accumulating or or purchasing, and and to say, I'm not going to do that. Instead of pressing into the the values of of accumulation and, and more and discontent discontentedness that's very normal in our culture, you press into the values of of contentedness and gratitude and discovering satisfaction in Jesus. Some of you would do really well to fast from shopping one day a week. Alan Fadling wrote this in his book, The Unhurried Life, another great read on this topic. He says, the Sabbath is God's antidote for our hurried, harried pace of life and gives us the unhurried one in seven rhythm woven into the fabric of creation. 
That seventh day is a space for us to enter into a needed recovery and perhaps go through the inevitable withdrawals from the hurry, drivenness, and workaholism that plague so many of our lives, families, communities, and organizations. On the Sabbath, hurry becomes a vice. <laughs> the exact opposite of our world day, work-a-day world's way of making it a virtue. And so in, in stopping for one whole full day each week, Sabbath is like a secret weapon on our war against hurry. First, Sabbath is about stopping. Second, Sabbath is about resting. When uh, used as a verb, Sabbath is normally translated rest, as in Genesis chapter 2, where it says God rested from his labors on the seventh day. And, and this kind of rest is more than just sleep, although it includes that. It's this deep level rest, holistic rest. It's a day to move slow. I can say this more easily in the second service where you guys come you know, on your Sabbath day, which is going to be Sunday for many of you, you guys get to sleep in or you should have a leisurely morning, not hopping out of bed. It's a, it's a day to stay in your bathrobe as long as possible, right? Anyone have a great bathrobe? Um, scary experience a couple weeks ago. Uh, I sit with my coffee on my Sabbath day in my living room and uh, it, we have these big windows, and when you walk up to our front door, you can't not look in the window. You, our, our windows are all open, and so as, the, as somebody comes up, and I'm sitting there with my coffee and my bathrobe at 11 in the morning, and uh, old friends of ours just popped in, and did they ever look frightened when I came to the door, you know, unshaven, looking like a mess? At least my hair wasn't messy. Here, here's the thing, folks most of us are starved for rest. Remember we talked about the invention, the, the impact of the invention of the light bulb? I mean, in, in North America, prior to, to uh, the invention of the light bulb, people got 10 to 11 hours of sleep a night. Now the average is down to seven hours a night. Some of us are getting less than seven hours sleep every evening. I'd say tired is the way we live. Interesting, John Mark Comer references a survey by psychologists who were talking about the mental health crisis at some of the top universities in the states, places like Harvard and Yale. And, and in these schools, all of them have suicide rates right now that are through the roof. Depression, anxiety, it's a full-on crisis. And, and one of these psych psychologists' prognosis was this. They offered that 75% of the problem would be solved if the students would just sleep eight hours a night. How many, how many of our issues in our lives would, would be solved just by us prioritizing sleep? Rest before anything, it, it, it's physical, and so napping on your Sabbath is a very good thing. It's resting mentally, it's letting our mind rest, not choosing your Sabbath day to think about really hard things, uh, maybe thinking, not, not thinking about the problems in your life. It's resting ourselves emotionally, maybe even taking a, sa a Sabbath day, a rest, from our sad thoughts, choosing that this is going to be a day of joy. I'm not saying that you can always brush those aside, but there are times where it would be appropriate for us to take even a break from our grief. To rest like this is going to require trust. Mark Buchanan says, Sabbath is about trust. Sabbath is turning over to God all those things, our money, our work, our status, our reputations, our plans, 
our projects that we would otherwise be tempted to hold tight in our closed fists, holding on to for dear life. You know, folks, on the, on the Sabbath, we release the, the illusion that we are in charge of our lives, that, that we are in control. We let God be God. We remember that He is running the universe, and He's got it, and it's okay. I love that verse in Isaiah 30, verse 15. If I ever get a tattoo of some writing on my arm, it's going to be this verse, just so you know. One day I might just show up to church and surprise you all. <laughs> in repentance and rest is, is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Sabbath requires trust. To rest to rest, I'd say, is an act of trust. To sleep, to turn off your phone, to take a day to do nothing productive. That's an act of trust that God will take care of you. So stopping, resting, and third, delighting. This reminds us that this is a day for enjoyment and joy. I, I love that Sabbath has this idea of delight because we can think that Sabbath is all about saying no to things, you know, like, like work and shopping and your phone and all those things. And so we think Sabbath keeping has this real kind of negative bent to it, but far more about, it's about saying yes to delight. In Genesis 2, we're told that God blessed the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and He made it holy. To bless something, I mean, we kind of know what it means. It's to Fuse something with God's goodness and God's grace. It, it means that Sabbath is not the day you fast. Sabbath is the day you feast. It's a day of joy. It's a day to don't worry, be happy, man. Right? Mark Buchanan suggests that the golden rule of Sabbath is to, is to stop what is necessary and to embrace that which brings life which tells me that Sabbath is going to look different for everybody. I mean, I mean for, for example, I mean, I mean, you got to create your own rule for this. This is why a general rule for everyone doesn't work. For, because if you were a runner, it might, might mean that on your Sabbath day, you don't run. Or if you're a student and you're, and you're studying textbooks most of your week, your Sabbath day for you may not be reading your textbooks. And I think that's doable, by the way. I've, I've talked to students. They have more free time than they care to admit, right? Yeah? Just a little bit? I mean, I remember being a student, and I remember having way more free time than you knew what to do with. And so Sabbath day is possible even for people who have exams the next day. I, I believe this, and, and I'll talk to you privately if you need convincing. Uh, for me, my Sabbath day is on Friday, and, and so on that Friday, I don't read books on leadership or on, uh, you know, church issues and things like that. I, I might read theology, or I'll read a novel. A couple weeks ago, on my Friday, I read a novel in one sitting, cover to cover. It was so good. I felt so great after, so accomplished at doing nothing that contributed to my life. It was very good. And you know what, folks? You can get to the place where you begin to look forward to these days where you have permission to enjoy some things that you don't always have time for, an extended bicycle ride or a long walk in the, in the woods, a hike, um, a jigsaw puzzle. Anyone? Anyone? Jigsaw? Yeah? Uh, five of us. Six of us. I think we're going to have a little... Oh, there we go. 
Um, we should have jigsaw parties, I think. Shouldn't we celebrate these very good things? You can't hurry a jigsaw puzzle is what I'm saying. Yeah, baby. Time with friends and family. You know, slowing down to be with the people you love. Good food. All of this, this delight piece is somehow connecting ourselves to beauty. I like how John Mark Comer puts it. He says, Sabbath is a day to just pamper and feed your soul with all that is good and beautiful and true. He goes on to say, because the the thing is, our world is so full of what's evil and ugly and a lie. Especially when the devices in our pockets are are painting a picture. They train us more and more to see the world in in a negative light. Comer says, Sabbath is a way of retraining our mind to delight in the good and the beautiful and the true. I love that. So Sabbath includes stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Back to Exodus 20. This command, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Notice that key line. A Sabbath to the Lord. It could also be translated to be set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord, which means that Sabbath isn't just a day of rest. It's also a day of worship. By worship, that includes what we're doing right now, gathering together as a, as a people of God, a community to collectively kind of turn our heads up to the heavens and together acknowledge that God is real and that He's there. And so we, corporate worship is a very good part of Sabbath keeping and will be part of most people's Sabbath keeping. Um, worship is more than just that, as we talk about often here. Worship is all-encompassing in our lives. It's kind of acknowledging that God is there and that He's near and that He's for us. Which means Sabbath is not just the same as a day off. Sabbath is not just about taking a day off. Here in BC, I think it's, it'd be easy to figure Sabbath is basically leisure. And, and leisure is important, but leisure itself won't bring us the deepest kind of rest. Only the Lord of the Sabbath can bring us that kind of rest. I, I, I've said this before, but we need more in our lives than just the absence of work. We need the presence of God. We need more than the absence of work. We need God's presence resting our souls. We need the rester. A day of spiritual rest, right? I like how Marva Dawn talks about this. She's a great writer on Sabbath. She says, intimacy with God can't be rushed. He says, we can't enjoy the presence of God if we're always looking at our watches. That's why Sabbath keeping is so important because on that day, we never wear our watches at all. Intimacy with God can't be rushed. It's true of relationships, you know. I went out with my son Noah yesterday. We uh, had a shopping date. Uh, my wife had filled our home with women, and so we were exiled out of the home, and we had two and a half hours to kill. And uh, we were figuring what to do, and he said, Dad, I'd love to do a shop. If you could take me shopping, groceries for where I live out at UBC, wanted to fill his fridge. And, uh, but, but we knew we didn't want to spend two and a half hours shopping. And so uh, I said, do you want to go out to Deer Lake? And we'll walk around Deer Lake. And I'll, I'll tell you, hope I'm not breaking too many confidences here, but I'll, the edited version is, as we walked around the lake, the first 20 minutes or so, I had to ask lots of questions 
And, and I was getting kind of like th- those one-word kind of answers. But about somewhere at the 20-minute mark, as my son and I were together, intimacy happened. <laughs> we began talking about stuff that really mattered. And my dear boy began sharing his heart with me about what's going on in his life. And at the end of it, we didn't want it to end. We, we showed up in the Costco parking lot, and I wanted to just sit in the car and sit there with my boy and continue to hear what was going on in him. And, and I, I couldn't help but think about that, how God longs for the same thing. He's peppering us with questions, and he's hoping we'll slow, enough, slow down enough just to be in his presence, just to experience him loving us like I love my boy. God wants that for us. He wants us to slow down so we might receive that, that word of approval that we're looking at from our, we're trying to find in our jobs and trying to find in our bank accounts and, and through satisfying our needs by shopping and all these kind of things. God wants to meet us in those, those places. He wants to say, this isn't you. I, I read this week about a mother who had this hyperactive child with this attention deficit disorder and, and she tried everything to calm her son. You know, drugs and, and therapy and, and discipline, nothing worked. Finally, in desperation, she grabbed her son one day in the chaos of, of one of his eruptions, and she held him tight in this, this close and loving embrace. And she was singing and speaking words of comfort and affection to him, pressing his head to her chest, rocking him, even as he thrashed and twisted and squirmed. But then he got quiet. He, he rested in his mother's arms. And when she set him down, the peace lasted. Now every time he has an outburst, this is what she does. She holds him until he quiets. She says, I do it long enough for him to remember who he is. Folks, Sabbath is God holding you long enough for you to remember who you are. That you're not God. That you're not in charge. You're not ultimately responsible. You're one who's deeply loved and cherished by Him. He's, you're, you're one of the ones that God loves to the moon and to the stars. And He holds your life in His hands. And so, And so I'd encourage you as part of your Sabbath practice, include time to be, just be with God. For for me, I I seek to spend more time than normal in the quiet place, to read, to pray, just to, often it doesn't look very spiritual. It looks like me in a bathrobe, sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee. That's what it looks like, folks. Slow and down enough to be with God. I got to wrap up. Let me uh, just close with some, some thoughts. First, I want to say is Sabbath keeping is becoming one of my favorites of the spiritual disciplines. In in my life with Jesus, this practice has become critical. I've not always done it well, and I've often resisted it, but when I do practice Sabbath, it does such a deep work in my soul. I just want this for everyone in our community. I want this for you. I pray that you find it. I pray that you begin being a Sabbath keeper. You know, another thing that struck me this week that's really special about the Sabbath, the other disciplines, they, they have no kind of timetable to them. Jesus doesn't say fast once a month, even though it's probably a good thing to do. 
He doesn't say, read a psalm every morning. He doesn't say, yeah, I want you to, to do this, do that uh, on this kind of time frame. The only time this happens is, is with Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath is the only practice where the timetable is set by God. Once in seven days, He gives you and I a rhythm. And, and you know what's good about that? It, it happens in a week where everything is flying high, where everyone who knows you loves and adores you and calls you blessed. But it also happens in weeks when everything is falling apart, when, when grief is what you feel, when problems are, are what you're facing, when, when you're, just, you're hitting the wall in all kinds of ways, sometimes not just figuratively. Even then, God gives you a day. Not once a year, not, not once a month. Every week, you, you get a day, and it meets you where you're at, and, and in that place, you can be yourself, and you're able to rest, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship, to remember that there is a God who loves you. Folks, i got to also say, everyone loves the idea of Sabbath. I mean, who doesn't like the idea of rest and sleep and more of that, right? But Sabbath-keeping is profoundly countercultural. It's a bold move in our day. If you are going to be a true Sabbath keeper, it's going to mean that you are going to need to trust. Sabbath-keeping requires this, this belief that God will take care of your work and it'll be okay when you come back to it. That, that it's going to be all right. So it requires trust. Can I also say it's going to require intentionality and planning? I, I, I've gotten to the place where I realize I, I've got to think about on, on Thursday, I, I, the rest of the week, my Bible readings are, are given to me on my phone. And so on Thursday afternoon, I actually take my Friday readings and I actually jot them down on a, it's old school, on a piece of paper. Imagine. So on Friday, on Fridays when it's my Sabbath day and I, I think I want to read scripture, I don't have to go to this. I can actually grab this piece of paper and, and turn and open a, a hard, open, like, book Bible. I mean, who has those anymore? And uh, it requires that intentionality. And it's going to be, especially if you're not doing Sabbath alone, you're going to have to have conversations as a family. What could this look like? You're going to have to think about, how do we do this with our kids? Uh, parents, I mean, it's going to require significant creativity with parents of young kids. Can I also tell you this? Some, some people say, I'll do it when my kids are older. If you do not practice Sabbath with your kids when they're little, you won't practice it when they're older. It's kind of the same, practice with, same, same principle with tithing. If you won't tithe when God gives you a, a little bit of money, you won't tithe when you're rich. It's just one of those things. God usually trains us with those experiences. And so think creatively how you might practice Sabbath even in the season that you're in, as difficult as it is. Last thought. I've got a good friend, by the way, I made at the local Starbucks, and, and uh, his daughter plays softball on the weekends. And he says, the star softball player on their team is a Christian, and she won't play on Sundays. So she's the star player. And it often means that their team doesn't win when she doesn't play. And she's boldly said, I'm not going to play on Sundays. And my friend who's not a believer, you could sense that he actually respected that. How many of us would be that bold? 
to say, to say no to some really great things. That family, that, that girl, she's a Sabbath keeper. That's the spirit of the Sabbath, saying no to something in order to say yes to what God has for us. We're not going to tell you what this looks like for you. I, I, I said again, uh, you create your own rule in this. But I want you to do the hard work of actually thinking about how you could in your life carve out 24 hours every week to practice Sabbath. That'll involve some kind of rest, stopping, rest, delighting, and worship. Why don't we pray? Team, come on up. God, uh, give us grace in this, we pray. We, we need your encouragement. We need your wisdom. Um, many of us confess we, we haven't kept Sabbath very well. We've just filled it with all kinds of hurry. Uh, we've, we struggle with this, God. And, and uh, I want to pray that you'd help each of us discover Sabbath for ourselves. What it might look like. Uh, in our context and with our families and with our friends. And I pray, Lord, <laughs> Scripture tells us that you blessed the seventh day. You bless it. And so as people step out in this, I pray they would experience your smile, your goodness. As usual, when I'm up here and I get to say the benediction, I get a sense of just God's fondness for you. And so may you, as you go today, have grace to trust Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord. And as you practice Sabbath, whatever that looks like for you, may you grow in the knowledge of his profound love for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you as you go. Got refreshments back there. And if you'd like prayer this morning, of course, as always, we'd love to pray with you. Come on up to the front. Take care.